Those are some of the voices. Those are some of the voices of uh, franchisees of Chisanyama on uh, how the dubious conduct of the company affected their personal lives. Uh, all manner of uh, wealth was decimated here. And... Uh, and that uh, coming from uh, a special uh, report there conducted by the SABC's special assignment. And uh, I must say, certainly, that uh, you know when we talk about franchises, it's often really helpful, I guess, to uh, and even any market story, uh, to uh, speak about what impact uh, many of these market stories have had, not just on the bottom line or the balance sheet of the companies in question, but uh, some of the other stakeholders. What, what is the social story? What is the story behind the story uh, when it comes to that particular issue? And uh, the story we're talking uh, about this evening uh, is... Uh, the story of Gold Brands now where they recently uh, had their CEO Praxia Nathaniel leaving the company and uh, leaving many shareholders wondering about the future of this particular company which uh, had a massive divergence between the assets it had on its books and I guess the quantum of its liabilities and Snesipo and Atemangogo we have you on the line Siswam how are you doing man? I'm good at you I, uh... Welcome to the other side Yes, yeah. it's good to be back. <laughs> 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 Let me not be spicy. Let me not be spicy. Snezipa, you would have uh, you would have come across certainly some of the stories that we've heard in those clips. People getting divorced, uh, people working all manner of hours and coming back and having nothing to show for it to some of their families. And uh, the one common denominator between all of uh, the stories that we just uh, played back for our listeners here is that all of those uh, uh, stories belong to people who are franchisees of Chisanyama. Just give us some of the background here. Okay, so Chisanyama, as you know, is a franchise brand. It's owned by Gold Brands together with another popular brand called Black Spears. Now, the company has been operating for several years. It was founded uh, by the former CEO, uh, who had also founded another entity, uh, another franchise called Fish and Chips Co., which was later sold to um, Taste Holdings. Now, what has happened with, unfortunately, with the Chitanyama brand is that when the first Chitanyama started opening a good couple years ago, I think it was around, if I remember correctly, around about circa 2013, 2012. Um, when they first opened, they did very, very, very well because it was a new product um, that was launched into the fast food market. Mm. And because of the success, initial success, uh, people uh, started investing into the franchise. Now, the, the, one of the biggest challenges is that food, the food services market, especially fast food franchise, is incredibly competitive. It is food as a sector, anything that has to do with food as a sector, has one of the highest failure rates. You can make very, very good money very quickly, or you can either collapse. Now, when uh, franchisees uh, seeing how well they were doing and the company was opening up different franchises, different locations, um, the, the expectation was that once you started, you would operate, you would make uh, cash flow from day one. Forgetting that a big success for fast food re- retail is location, 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 location. If you're in the incorrect spot, which does not attract sufficient foot traffic, your outlet would fail. The only outlets that go against this norm are KFC, Chicken Licken, 
and then don't. So, so what they is it that they do? What is it that they do? They don't follow that norm. Yes, Nizibo. Yeah. What, what is it that they do that distinguishes them certainly from some of those that have that have gone under? Quite simple. They stick to what they know. A, a, a big issue specifically with these um, with gold brands is that they established one brand and then they established other brands without having gone through the cycle. Now, I'm t- when I talk about the cycle, I talk about the economic cycle. You open up a new business, um, you get hyped in the fast food, uh, fast food sector, and then the hype dies down. Then you need to re-attract customers. Hmm. And you're having you to re you to maintain your market share and also consistently grow year in, year out. The issue with the new brand launching and even specifically you can op- keep opening up new brands of new brands, you haven't gone through that cycle. Hmm. And you've also haven't you haven't foolproofed your business model yet. Because when you when the especially with the with the Chitanyama, it works only in certain locations. So low LSM, high foot traffic Preferably in down like a town, that's where it would work really, really well. It wouldn't work in the suburbs of Randburg. Now, franchisees, um, at the same time, because they saw the numbers were doing well, they, there wasn't enough research in terms of what makes certain locations work mm. because they hadn't perfected their business sure. model and they hadn't gone through the cycle as well. Okay. So people so just... Let, yeah. Let's pause this slightly, and uh, I'd like to encourage uh, some of our listeners here. Did you buy uh, any franchise that went bust or uh, went under? Uh, do let us know. Give us a ring on zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven. Or were you considering, I guess, to taking whatever uh, money you had and uh, had saved, or a payout, or, or whatever form of uh, uh, potential investment you were considering in the franchising space uh, that also went well? And uh, do share with us, of course, what uh, some of the uh, key features of that success or the key drivers of that success have been uh, so that all of us uh, who have an interest in this particular space can be able, uh, I guess, uh, to uh, tell uh, all the good stuff from the bad. Let's take this brief break and on the other side, I continue with Snesip. It is indeed. And uh, this evening, we're taking a look at the world of franchising and uh, using, I guess, as a background and a context to that, uh, the uh, recent uh, troubles that have been faced by Gold Brands. Now, uh, Gold Brands is a company of... uh, uh, franchises uh, that had come together and uh, of course had uh, d- decided to be a prime mover in the franchising space uh, flagship brand being Chisanyama but also uh, they were behind Fish and Chips Co which was acquired by Taste Holdings several years ago they also part of um, or involved in Black Steer and uh, as I said before we went to the break a few have had some experience certainly not only of just this franchiser but any other franchising experience that you think is notable and worthy of being shared then uh, please feel free to do so give us a ring on 089-110-3377 uh, 089-110-3377 Nesipo, before we went to that brief break you were talking about I guess the key ingredients that make a franchise function here, excuse the pun for a second, but um, the key ingredients that would go into making an operation like this function, the first one you mentioned was footfall, and then, of course, the ability to speak to a certain uh, uh, income and social demographic uh, was also crucial as well. Yes, um, yes specifically, um, specifically the segment that um, Gold Brands is targeting. Uh, lower LSMs have been under significant pressure in this economy, as we all know, and so they have actually reduced their purchases. So takeaways have become less popular, specifically in the lower LSM market. So it, it, it's been those, that's why I say that 
the key success for any, if you buy into a franchise, you can only buy into a franchise that has gone through this cycle. Because you, if you look at, if you just do a comparison and contrast, you've got Gold Band, which is seeing Fireflames. Remember, they were also um, taxmen. Apparently, they owe the taxman money. They also were suspended by the JSE. Um, if you compare and contrast to them to Grand Parade investments, the same thing, Grand Parade, the first Burger King opened, they were queued there for a solid year. If you look at a couple of years from now, a couple of years later, how many people still queue up for Burger King now? Hmm. They hadn't gone through the cycles as well. The same thing happened is that people, you have to go through the, you have to go through the hype, be able to build a solid business, attract and retain customers and keep growing from there. And also the same thing with Grand Parade. They started opening up new brands. Even if you look at um, old brands, they've opened up, they say that specifically on their website that they're looking to do other brands. And specifically, they've also gone into the process of uh, selling um, they're actually selling Chitanyama to a private equity holder. They've got this brand. They've got, like I said, different brands. They've eat, eat Cafe Rouge, One Plus One Pizza, Noxy, Ed Shakes, and Sunday's Dinner. All of these brands. And for me, it's disaster, disaster, disaster. There's just nothing much. I just feel sorry for the franchisees because I feel that they were not properly informed so, so maybe just unpack for us the the obligations for some of us who might not be aware between the uh, person who buys the franchise from uh, a gold brand or a grand parade who then operates the franchise. What obligations do they have to a grand parade or to a gold uh, uh, to a gold brand that, uh, in the context of this kind of looming or spectacular collapse uh, in the entity, uh, would uh, potentially affect them? So basically, the problem with the franchise, you don't have any control of anything as a franchisee. You have to buy from the franchisor. You have to fit the shop. So to fit the franchise, uh, we were discussing this earlier, is somewhere north in the few couple of millions of rand. Like I, I just heard to open a Nando's is 7 million rand plus. So you invest this money with the idea that you're going to get a return and then you still have to pay, you have to purchase from the franchisor. You can't just buy from the cheapest. So obviously at some point, the franchisor is also making margin from you. So you're buying it at market, above market rates. You also have to pay the franchisor uh, fees in terms of licensing and royalty fees. These are things you have to pay for. So at, at, at some point, if your business is go- not going well as a franchisor, franchisee operating the business, you are then left with all these expenses on top of that rent because most franchisees are renting in malls which have ridiculously high rentals. Mm. So you've got those high rentals, high franchise royalty fees. You're buying products at above market level because the franchise is trying to make profit from their sales from you. And you are restricted in terms of your operating hours. You're told what to wear, how to keep the shop. You have no, you're basically, basically a quasi-manager. Hmm. That's basically what you're doing. And as much as what the purpose of franchising as a principle, if you look at it from an entrepreneurial theory, is to introduce entrepreneurship with a proven business model. However, it's also open to much exploitation as well as 
match risk factor, which most franchisees, when they're embarking on this journey, they're not fully aware of and they're not fully can appreciate. Also, what makes this quite significant is that almost every single franchise, if you would like to buy into it, without a, without a shadow of a doubt, they always say you need to have 50% of unencumbered income. So that means what? Income where, without debt. Hmm. So And 50% debt. So where most people get the unencumbered income is that they usually resign from their workplace, cash out their pension or withdraw from their bond and then borrow the balance from the bank. And then when things don't work out, they're left in a dire financial straits, which is what can be displayed from some of the some of the calls that we heard earlier from the special investigation in that the structure of it, if it doesn't work, you are effectively screwed over and put into a quite a dire financial hole. And it is it is it is it is quite it's quite saddening to me because it breaks my heart because you are put in this situation and you're not even informed. There's no proper communication because what someone could listing a franchise is so easy. Remember when Capello's was hard? Remember when coffee was hard? Do you know how many people putting millions into those things? Remember the fish and chips company? The guy had to be taken to court as well. Like it's all of these stories and it's a particular and this is very, very, very common in food, fast food outlets. Fast food outlets. Like it, 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 it really literally just breaks my heart, mm. Shane. Let's shift our attention here slightly, uh, um, Zippo, and take a look at uh, this listing of Uber. I think uh, uh, we really covered some of the bases when it comes to, to, to the issue of uh, Chisanyam and the franchising space, and certainly not the last time we're going to be having that conversation. But uh, uh, set to see, of course, here, the uh, listing of uh, Uber at a projected IPO value, slightly lower than uh, some of the earlier projections. But we do remember that uh, Uber was, I guess, nipped into the IP, uh, IPO process by another e-hailing business, which is called Lyft. And uh, we might not know it here in South Africa, but uh, of course, uh, quite prominent in the United States. Yes. Um, so, um, as you know, Uber filed its intention. They filed their forms with the SEC to Lyft. Uh, the valuation is actually 91.5 billion, if you have to be correct. Um, it's, uh, lit- and most people had it at, if you look at some analysts, some people had it at 120 billion, hmm. which is quite significant. And um, 120 billion US. And yeah, so they were beaten to the punch by Lyft. Lyft is a regional competitor. It's the same thing as Uber. Lyft in, is a regional competitor for Uber in America as well as the Canadian market. Uber is still the dominant player. So Lyft is slightly is smaller, but they managed to list first. And yes, so it, um, it, it's interesting to see how um, the Uber listing is going to be uh, anticipated by the market, received by the market. Mm. We also saw they were talking about uh, giving some of the Uber drivers here, and uh, certainly some of whom are listening to this particular show, uh, they were going to give them uh, some, I guess, first dibs at the shares, but also uh, an opportunity to uh, uh, get a cash payout here to reward them for uh, the commitment that uh, they've put in pre-listing. Yes. So each Uber driver, depending on the number of rides that they have completed and how long they've been on the platform, is getting a once-off, just to say a thank you, so the payments are ranging from 100 US dollars to 
to about 40,000 US dollars, which is half a million rand, by the way. So it's um, very good money. Just to say thank you. So it's over and above what they usually drive the partners usually earn. It's literally just a thank you that they wanted to do because um, a good part of Uber's success is the drivers. And mm. because the drivers don't necessarily own shares, so they won't participate in the equity upside, they wanted to just do something just to say thank you for just making Uber who they are. So the SA guys haven't disclosed how much that they have been getting. But so what the amount that I'm referring to are the ones listed in Uber's um IPO documents. Yeah. Uh, they have said that they are going to adjust according to currency as well as region. Okay, Snezibo. Uh, the other issue for me on my end is that we saw when Lyft went and listed that uh, when they uh, floated the uh, share on the marketplace, they were unable to maintain uh, the initial uh, uh, offer price that uh, they had been part of their IPO when they saw a decline in their stock uh, down uh, just uh, 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 under about 25% or so. And uh, uh, certainly when it comes to the low depths for the share that we've seen, how, how is Uber going to be able to, I guess, uh, maintain a, a strong share price, but also continue with its aggressive market penetration strategy. And uh, no place like South Africa uh, where, where we understand how aggressive that has been. So you've got to look at where it is. So what happened with Lyft is that the when it once it listed, once it listed, the price just they couldn't maintain their listing price, and a lot of the factor was that the hype went down. Basically, it's just hype. So if you look at Lyft. Lyft uh, followed basically the same, um, and now some of the shares or shareholders are suing Lyft for uh, falsehoods in the listing price and valuation. But if you look at the same thing happened to Facebook, the same thing happened to Twitter, where you list, your share price takes a beating, but now it's time for you to prove to the market that you're worth what you're worth. So Lyft, like Uber, and that's what Uber will also have to do. Uber and Lyft are both lock-making operationally. And the reason why they're lock-making operationally is a concept of buying market share. So Uber, as much as we all like to not try to admit it, Uber is a global competitor. They operate on six continents. They're the only ones. They're the biggest by far. They have no global competitors. They have lots of regional competitors, and even within the regional competitors, they're still the dominant player. And because of increased competition in e-hailing services, which is what we call these um, platforms, um, there has been a big, big focus on price. Where Uber has slightly been different to the others is that Uber seeks to increase their revenue, uh, diversify their revenue sources, such as these things like Uber Eats, um, something that's not available in SA, Uber Freight, which is logistics, as well as to look at um, self-driving cars and automated cars, as well as to also introduce scooters mm. to the mix. So Uber is sort of like being on the front line. Sure. So I was in India uh, a while ago, and in India, you've got different forms. It doesn't happen in South Africa, but you can Uber a tuk-tuk, mm. a scooter, a car, a bus, it just it just literally yeah. it's on different it's on all different forms of riding. So let's pause so, there slightly and we know of course, you know, in, in your own hometown that's where they, they have probably the uh I guess the addition to the diversity of uh, Ubers that we have here in South Africa. I know in Port Elizabeth they have something called Uber Go. So so I must say, I mean, uh, it's probably the only place in South Africa where they have that and uh, driving along in uh, those small cars there that are being made. 
uh, by Suzuki and Datsun, I think. But uh, Snezibo, we've got a caller here who's calling us all the way out in Pal. And they want to weigh in on the franchising issue, if we can just maybe retrace our steps. And then on the other side of that call, we'll wrap up our conversation. Ayanda, uh, you are in Pal. Good evening to you. Aya. Right. Did I right, Aya, right? I want to, to comment to highlight what is being given to South African Uber drivers mm. at the moment. Okay. Uh, from the trips which are being done as a, as a tanks by Uber. Mm. Um, Uber, if you have 20,000 trips, they're giving you 46,000. And they've got nine, 19,000 trips uh, or 19,900, they're giving you 4,000 runs. Hmm. And from 4,000 runs, if you're having 10,000 trips, 9,910 trips, they're giving you 2,300 runs. I'm talking about runs here. I'm not talking about US dollars. Sure, sure. And in US, they've been given about 40,000, which is, uh, my, and I don't know, I don't understand the category which they're using. So so, 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 wait, Sam, and uh, just to maybe uh, assist our listeners here, this is Sam. Uh, we initially uh, thought we were. No, no, Sam, you're still on the line. This is Sam on the line uh, talking to us about the Uber issue. Uh, we'll still reconnect with Ayanda on the uh, Chisanyama issue from Paul. But, Sam, are you talking about, uh, I guess, the, the payoff that is being given as part of this IPO to South African Uber drivers? Yes, I'm talking about this money which is being given to the driver. Okay. Let's go back to some of those amounts. Just, just maybe unpack those amounts again for us. How much? Um, if you're having 20,000 trips, you're oh, yeah. given 46,000 rides. If you're having 19,000, like myself, I'm, I've got more than three and a half years in Uber. Mm. I've got 19,900 trips. I've been given 4,200 rides. Yep. Only 4,200 for like 19,000 trips? Yes, I've got 19,000 trips. I'm being given 4,200 rides. Sure. With 19,000 trips, I've got more than three and a half years working under Uber. Yo, Sam, thank you so much for sharing that experience. Sam, yes, 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 we heard you, my brother, and uh, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us there and uh, certainly an unsettling one. Then, Snissible, we'll come back to that one. Uh, Ayanda's back with us on the line uh, from uh, Paul. Uh, Aya, good evening to you. Good evening, Tara Gunjan. Okay, there's one thing I'd like to stress out né, when it comes to Chisanyam. Yes, but... Because what they used to do, they used to give a franchise of Bandu, Win Lela, Win Note, and a core important, which was not easy. That's the first one. And second, I'll commend them on good food. They had good food, but you must all always know that good food takes time. So people, they couldn't stay much. Uh, Okay. Hey, I, and thank you so much for giving us that complexity. Maybe before we, you before you go, I, I want to maybe hear you on the point your call we raise that when they allocate these franchises, uh, depending on who you are, they first give you the ones that uh, are probably in places and enough footfall in needs and enough needs. No, no, no. Yeah. no um, maybe it's not example in the point of call. Let's mm. say you have a service station. 
Yes, I Ayanda. Oh, some last Ayanda, some last Ayanda. Uh, lost the line there, and uh, uh, but Snessy, but I, I think Ayanda's making a very, very important point not just about, I guess, uh, you know, um, location and the footfall and even just the operational dynamics, but even customer preferences and how they differ in different contexts. I mean, if you think about it, uh, and uh, we'll try and get Ayanda back here again, but I'd like you maybe just uh, before we get Ayanda back, Snessy, to just comment briefly on this issue where you're seeing. Uh, depending on your context, that that would then influence how much money you're able to generate on a day-to-day basis. You're paying rent for every single day, but uh, in places like the Western Cape and maybe the Eastern Cape, you're probably only getting major footfall on weekends. Yes, like I said, location, location of thing is based on absolute location. And besides customer preferences, um, customer preferences, you have to understand what are you actually ordering. That's why I make an example. South Africans, we are a chicken heavy country. We are properly, and understanding that means that it also influences our buying decisions and mm. also our consumption preferences as well. As much as the Chitang, and also the Chitang Yama, if you look at um, you know, the Chitang Yama spots, specifically the ones that have done very, very well in, in even Johannesburg, in Johannesburg, they've become sort of, they've sought to move away from the food requirement to more of an experience requirement mm. in that they've become groove spots. Yeah. That's the base. They've become, and that's because they've realized that to get people, it needs to go beyond the food. Now, a simple outfit so which has... Let's take this quick spot break, sorry, and I'll allow you to finish the point on the other side, yeah? Okay. Cool. I'm in conversation with uh, uh, independent investment analyst Snesipo Maninjo. Now, Snesipo, uh, just to briefly, as we wrap up, uh, you're making a point before we had to go uh, to that spot break. And uh, uh, I guess this also speaks volumes about what you're saying as a chicken-loving nation and uh, some of the choices that, uh, uh, I guess, emerging from that ought to inform what franchises we choose. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's quite unfortunate. Like I said, because... And also the timing of how these franchises, they, they operated. My issue with Chitanyama, my actual fundamental issue with Chitanyama is that if you read specifically and also to see what the offer they were offering franchises, they sort of package it as a get-rich-quick scheme. Everybody mm. loves Chitanyama. You're going to make lots of money. Please buy into the concept. Without informing franchises are the fundamental things that are required in order for the business to be successful. Specifically, what are your customer preferences? Foot traffic, location, yeah. overhead, management, they do not properly equip their franchisees with this information as well as with the skills to be able to handle this. Because the way how they sold it and how they packaged it was that you will get rich quickly, which is why their franchisees have been seen flames left, right, and center. And because literally, if you look at um, specifically them and Black Sears, the same sales, remember it's fish and chips cold, the same uh, sales, fish and chips, these fish and chips, yeah. the same sales pitch was like, buy in, we're opening up all these locations, you're going to make excess, excess money. So yeah. for me, uh, it, 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 for me, I think they are golden brand. It's sure. fundamentally to blame because of just the lack of misinformation. You can mm. on some hand say that the franchisee should have done their due diligence. But at the same time, you can only do a diligence on what information mm. you are provided. And okay. that, for me, 
rest squarely on the franchise. Sure. Snezibo, we'll have to leave it there. And I certainly share that sentiment that, you know, at some point all of these things were packaged as a business in a box. I remember even uh, them using uh, Simpua Chabalala from Kaiser Chiefs and uh, saying he had bought a franchise as well and he was making all manner of money. And uh, it's uh, quite clear, of course, that uh, uh, there's uh, never a, always something uh, behind any story that's uh, too good uh, to be true. Snesipo, Bulalakakulu for joining us this evening. Big thank you to you and certainly look forward to catching up with you soon. And uh, we have on the line, just to wrap up this particular conversation, Ayanda again. And uh, let's allow yes. him uh, all the way out in Mbegweni to uh, make the point that he was making. Ayanda, besatilanga location, Budi. Okay. Just to, to comment on the point, this mm. is just talk about chicken, right? Chicken loving uh, yes. country. Yeah. But also, if you notice, you 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 find that chicken with a, with an orange brand. That chicken is, is also doing well. In mm. a, with the orange in brand, they can't. They can't. Yeah, but, but if you look at the NPE, there's none. Mm. But the EPE is going kind to of buying market. You look at in that, there's one. You look at the month, if it's still open, not second, if I'm not mistaken. But just to come back to the, 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 the point, I think mm. the location was a factor. As a factor, it it was a but for those who have lost money, I'm sorry for them, but it's an eye opening. Yeah. But also, if you look at this one, they just had a franchise there, Ika Canel. If you look at that one, there's a list there if you find my franchising. Mm. And what they do, they dictate is sport because by okay, by profession, I'm a town planner. Sure. And then we know this market, you see. So, what they do, they dictate. Even if you are in in Gauteng, they will say there's a there's a sport event and it's a it's a commercial site. It's busy. You can make certain money. Then you say yes, we are retired and you are retired. So when it comes to Chisanyam, it was a it was a quick. Uh, it was a, I'm not I'm not trying to say it's a money making scheme, but a business plan and 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 venture. It wasn't that good. Mm. They didn't they didn't check even in the long run. They sure. As, as, as loophole. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on that particular one. And uh, certainly, I hope it's been a treasure trove of knowledge for anyone who's ever had a franchising opportunity brandished before them. Uh, that day is Ayanda all the way out in Pal Mbegweni speaking to us uh, this evening. Let's take this brief break. And on the other side, we pick up the story of a, uh, a gentleman, I assume, 35-year-old man indeed, yes, uh, who fell uh, unseen into a hole uh, that uh, uh, artisanal miners were digging with heavy machinery. Uh, this happened yesterday morning and uh, he amputated both of his legs, one below the knee and the other just above the knee and the paramedics were on the scene at 10 a.m. yesterday morning and I guess it allows us to turn our attention once again to uh, the uh, notion of illegal mining, certainly a term that I don't appreciate because I think Ababandu are small-scale and artisanal miners uh, eking out a livelihood in an economy that uh, isn't creating uh, jobs all over the place, which is uh, something that we often assume. But I'd love to hear your perspectives on that one give me a ring on 089 110 3377 i speak to mishak mbangula on the other side of this